Okay, so um, Daisy said it and said it well. This is the last Thursday night of the semester. I cannot believe it. Time has flown, but time flies when you're having fun, right? And tonight is going to fly by because we're having fun. This is going to be amazing. We're going to uh, baptize some of our dear friends. <laughs> Ain't no party like a Chi Alpha baptism night, right? Okay. Um, the way we're going to get this started is Zach Walker is going to begin by reading. Um, we've done this before, but this is just a great way to set this up. He's going to read a letter written 2,000 years ago that is written for those getting baptized tonight. Once you were dead, because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece, and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so that, he, so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Okay, so that's a letter, a letter written 2,000 years ago to those getting baptized tonight. It's also a letter written to those in Ephesus by the Apostle Paul. That's Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, if you'd like to read that again. Okay, so um, this illustration I'm about to use, I wasn't going to use it because I've used it before, but it just fits too well, and I could not use it, okay? So it is World Cup season right now. Uh, football season for many, soccer for most Americans. Um, have you seen that commercial with Peyton Manning? Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, but anyhow, my own account of going to a soccer game. You guys, just some of you, have you been watching the World Cup? Anybody been following the World Cup? Okay, okay. More and more we're coming along with the rest of the world. Um, there's still a few people that think it's a communist sport or, you know, can only talk about baseball. <laughs> but when you do that, you, you make yourself pretty, uh, pretty ethnocentric, like just pretty small-minded, just, yeah, I'll stop there. Um, okay, so 
a half in soccer is 45 minutes. First half is 45 minutes. Second half is 45 minutes. You run a lot in soccer in those minutes. Um, but when, it, when the game is over and you want to drop, it's not over. And soccer players know that. At 90 minutes, what happens? They have what they call extra time. Some call it stoppage time or injury time. And it's kind of up to the discretion of the referee. He stops his, his clock at certain points when he thinks it it's, doesn't need to be you know, part of the game so that they can pick up later and play that time. Okay, so me and some friends, by that I mean me and 90 other Chi Alpha guys. To this day, that is the largest gathering of Chi Alpha men to go to a sporting event together. 90 guys, can you imagine that? And we all sat in the same section, so it was, it was pretty cool. And especially since the Dynamo played well and we were winning. Um, they were up by one goal, and it came down to that 90-minute mark, and you're like, we are about to win. And then we're like, now how much stoppage time is there? How much injury, how much extra time is there? Dryden was there, he remembers this. And so they, they announce at some point there's three minutes left. So what do you do? Like you pull out your phone, stopwatch, or like timer, you know, and you're like three minutes. And so all of us at a certain point when three minutes expires are like this. And we're like getting ready, getting ready to like just pump our fists in the air and be like, yeah. But at the point when time expires, according to us, 90 minutes plus the three minutes, we're like, okay, we won. Let's celebrate. Blow the whistle. And the Sounders have the ball at half field and keep progressing it down the left side rapidly. And you're like, blow the whistle. Blow the whistle. Time has expired. And then a Dynamo player comes out to try and defend and stop this play. And a guy behind him like fouls him. And then you're like, well, if you're not going to blow the whistle for the game to end, blow the whistle for that, because that's clearly a foul and no whistle. Well, the game's over, so blow the whistle. No foul. They go all the way down the corner and then cross it, left-footed, into the center. Guy takes it and plants it in the back of the goal. Goal for the Seattle Sounders. Clint Dempsey and his team have now tied the dynamo. And so we're... we're about to pounce with this excitement like this, right? And instead of doing that, we just go, oh. And we're like holding our fists like, somebody please do justice, like blow the whistle off. I mean, whistle, blow the whistle and, and reverse the call, change this, flip this around. Please fix this, right? Like do justice. But then with each second that passes, you're like, they're not gonna reverse this. This is not gonna be changed. And we had a win and now we have a tie, which totally feels like a loss, right? We just, you didn't lose, but you just lost a win that was in your grasp, so you lost. And you don't leave the stadium right away. You just all kind of stand there like, and like look at each other, and then you begin to like move out of the stadium. And so anybody had that feeling before with your team? If you've followed a team long enough, you come to that. But I gotta take that, Sam has, he's a Cowboys fan. But, I, I got I to take that beyond, this is a nice dig, Sam. I, I got to take that beyond sports. We, we know that feeling because that is, that is life. And we've all dealt with disappointment. And to the degree, it's way beyond a silly football match, a soccer match. And it's something actually much more lasting and significant. Things that we've dealt with and experienced that can actually be reversed. And you're thinking of every way and you're wishing and you're longing and you're hoping like, can this be changed? Can this be reversed? How did this happen? Why did this happen? Even if it's your own responsibility, you've wanted things to be changed. 
And if you consider just the state of us, the state of humanity, without Jesus, that is us. Like, something has gone terribly wrong, we've lost everything, and it can't be, we, we can't regain anything in our own strength. Ephesians 2, where Zach read, he read the first 10 verses. I'm going to pick up in verse 12, and it captures what I'm trying to talk about. It says this, Ephesians 2, 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God. That's us. Without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's the whistle right there that calls off the goal and changes everything. Because there is one that can save. He's called the great physician. He can heal when nobody can heal. He can bring back to life the dead. He's Jesus. And when we were without hope, he walked into the room and everything changed, to put it in that way. And so tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate what Jesus has done. He's given us hope. He's given us a new life where there was no hope. It says we were without hope and without God in the world, and he came along. And we get the win, and he takes the loss and comes back to life. Okay, that's Jesus. That's mystical. It's wonderful. But before we baptize our friends and celebrate with them tonight like we do, and and it's going to be a blast. Uh, let's get a better grasp of what water baptism is just to refresh us, remind us. And this is going to paint a fresh picture of who we are without Jesus and who we are with Jesus, what he's done for us even specifically this semester. So I'm going to talk first about like the what of baptism, then the why of baptism, and then more on the what of baptism. But first, what do we know about water baptism? What do we know about water baptism? Well, that's pretty much determined by what we've experienced, and some of us have different experiences than others. Most of us have different backgrounds, right? So you might have experienced different methods when it comes to baptism, and by that I mean some sprinkle, some pour, and some do full immersion, okay? Anybody familiar with those different methods of baptism? Right? Okay, and then there's different timing. Some are baptized as infants, some as small children. I was baptized when I was five years, no, seven years old, seven years old. And then some of you are going to get baptized for the first time tonight, right? And you're not seven, you're not an infant, you're a college student, right? And then there's also this, there's cultural significance, and water baptism is viewed differently among different cultures. And even in this room, there are different cultures represented, right? Thank you for diversity. Um, I was on a mission trip uh, several years back in Japan, and I had this wonderful conversation. I was talking to this Japanese guy um, at a church, and man, he just had such a, uh, his disposition was wonderful. He had a kind of a glow on his face. And when he talked about Jesus, it was obvious that he loved him, and they had a real walk with him. He had experience, he had, he, he had trusted him, and made decisions based on what he knew about God and his character. And I was talking to a believer. It was very obvious. We had a shared commonality, a shared love, and we were excited to talk together. And so I asked him, how long have you been following Jesus? And he said, oh, well, I'm not a Christian. Man, I was like, man, how, how's my radar like, how's, how am I so off? Because like, you're so right on. Like, 
And he goes, I will, I will be a Christian in two weeks. And then I was like, what, what are you doing? You know, I didn't contort my face, but I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, what's happening in two weeks? And he goes, I'm getting baptized. And then I was like, ah, in his mind, this is like a wedding. And he and Jesus are not official until he stands in front of all his friends and family and professes his love for Jesus. He wouldn't even call himself a Christian. Guys, he had, all, he, he had fellowship with Jesus. He had, he, had made, like he had laid down his life and taken up the new life of Jesus. But and to him, and, I, and ever since I experienced that, I'm like, man, there's something really right about that. And I think it might be more scriptural the way they do it than we do it sometimes. In some cultures where it's not lawful to follow Jesus, um, it's even like this, family and friends may not reject you if you keep your profession of faith to yourself. But if you get baptized, then you're done. You're completely cut off from them and you might even have death threats and those might even be followed up on. A good friend of ours uh, in the Kyle world beyond here is a guy named Christopher Gornold Smith. If you go to Salt, which you should go to Salt and you can sign up for Salt now, um, he will be actually teaching a workshop, I believe. Um, he explains it this way, that in the East, people are much more collective. You guys understand this. They're more family-oriented um, and less individualistic um, than the typical Westerner. I know like we have people groups within us that kind of break that mold. But if you were to ask uh, them a question, they might, t you say, ask them an individual question, like point it to them, and they might actually start telling you about their grandfather or their father or just their family. And you're like, where? I was talking to you, but they take a question to them, to their whole family. That's their solidarity there, right? They see that, that as a unit. Um, so for us to understand that better, Christopher Gordon Smith just talks to us about our sports teams and points out, reminds us how we do this thing where if we're watching our team, like say, say um, we'll just use the Cowboys, we've already gone there, okay? Right. So if Sam, Sam is watching the Cowboys and he's got a friend that he wants to report to that is also loving and interested in the Cowboys, but they can't, like, you know, they're like raking leaves for their parents or something, right, over the holidays, and he wants to tell them about the Cowboys game, he's not going to, if, if C.D. Lamb catches a pass from, from Dak and, and scores a touchdown, he's not going to say they scored, right? He's not going to say C.D. Lamb scored. He's not going to say Dak threw a touchdown pass. He's going to say what? We, right, you guys got it. We scored, right? We, because we are the Cowboys. We are the fans. They're the players, but it's all of us, right? That's how we view it. I mean, really, Sam was probably sitting on the couch. He didn't score. But in our, I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. Like, if the U.S. beats the Netherlands, we beat the Netherlands. The United States of America beat the Dutch, right? It's a we thing. It's a family thing. It's us, right? Okay, so that's how... Um, how Christopher Gornon Smith gets this across to us. In baptisms, we are doing this. We are expressing and displaying solidarity with Jesus and the family of God. It's no longer, it's like, I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this family. This is we, this is us. And Jesus is the one that actually makes this true. His victory is our victory. Much more so than C.D. Lamb catching a touchdown pass for the Cowboys. If you're a Cowboys fan, is your victory. Jesus' victory is our victory if we put our faith in him. His death is also our, our death, and his resurrection is ours. All those are needed, and we're identified and unified with him 
in this act of water baptism. We're representing this. His death conquered our sin, and his resurrection conquered death. Okay, so I mentioned different methods of baptism. Um, so we can ask this, why do we do baptisms, and why do we do them as we will do them tonight at the Kaiapha House in a short period of time? We're going to look at two examples. We have the example of Jesus. He actually got baptized here on earth in the Jordan River. And then we have the example of the early church. So let's look at the example of Jesus. What does Jesus do and what does he say? Well, he does this. He gets baptized, as I said, in the Jordan River. And how did he get baptized? Like dunked, like full immersion. Um, And then what did he say? Well, when he gave the Great Commission, he said this. He commanded us to be baptized, Matthew 20. 8, 18 through 20, I'll read it to us. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, verse 19 again, go and make disciples of all nations, then comma, what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So what do we see? We see, well, first off, Jesus got baptized. We see immersion. That means the entire person goes under the water. That's why we do it that way tonight. Then we see obedience. We should be baptized as simply an act of obedience. How can we call Jesus Lord if we haven't done the first thing he asked us to do? That's what it appears to be happening in Matthew 20, 18. Like, lead them to me and then baptize them, okay? Don't wait around. Okay, so then we have the example of the early church. The apostles being obedient to Jesus and baptizing believers in the church. This is Acts 2, verse 37 through 38. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? We'll read that again. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brother, brothers, what shall we do? So the gospel had been presented to them, and they were convicted. And they were like, we got to change. But what's the first step? We don't even know. What do we do? And Peter replies, repent. And then next, be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what do we see? We see many examples of baptism in Acts. We actually don't see any of them being infants. So just to talk about that briefly, if that's your experience, great. That's amazing. It's a wonderful act, a beautiful act of dedication by your parents. But we can't call it a substitute for your own individual choice to be baptized and profess your faith in front of your friends and family. Okay? So let's take this further, a further breakdown of baptism. So as, like, um, we got some of us being baptized tonight, I think five different girls, three guys. <laughs> so I got some of this, so like, uh, Aaron and Jasmine are getting baptized by Emma, is that right? Yeah? Okay. So as Emma is baptizing Aaron and Jasmine, or as, like, we got, let me see, Kira baptizing Shelby, that's, that's still going down? Okay. So as they're like going into the water, coming out of the water, what's going on? Is that a good question to ask? Like, I've kind of painted the picture here, but I think we can unpack this a little bit further. If you want to understand a word, what do you do? You get synonyms for the word, okay? So what I've gathered is some synonyms for baptism. 
Um, what does baptism signify? It signifies your total acceptance and identification with Christ's sacrifice on your behalf. A synonym, a few synonyms for baptism is a consummation, a fulfillment, a completion, a climax, an initiation, a final settlement. That's good. That helps me. Water baptism signifies your total acceptance and identification with Christ's sacrifice on your behalf. Baptism is a final settlement. It's settled, it's finished, you're Jesus's forever. You're walking with him, you're committed to him. Okay, so we're going to look at going into the water and coming out of the water, and then we'll be close to wrapping this up. Going into the, wa to the water, what does this do? This shows that you have repented. Turn from your sin, the old self is dead and buried. That's what this is a picture of. Past sins are dead and buried, but also what caused those sins, your independence, your wrong desires, those are dealt with. Romans 6, 3, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Why? That death deals with our sin and kills it. Romans 6, 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. That also means that you and I can walk and live in freedom from the things that once bound us and enslaved us. Question, what do you do with a dead body? Right, you bury it. Okay, so that's what we're doing in water baptism. It's a symbol. It's a symbol of burial. So you go into the watery grave is what we call it, right? And you... That's a picture of your old way of life, your, in, inter, like your independence from Jesus, independence from God, your being a rebel, and it, that's like done with and gone in the grave. Okay, coming out of the water, we are raised with Christ to a new life. Baptism also does this. We are raised to, with Christ to a new life, but baptism also is a picture of a cleansing. Does the water that you get in tonight actually wash away your sin? No. That's the blood of Jesus. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. But the water is a picture of that having happened through the blood of Jesus. Okay? Here's something really important to get. And we get this in like layers of meaning. I think the rest of our lives will be getting this. But what's true about Jesus is now true about you. For each of you getting baptized, what's true about Jesus is now true about you. That's earth shattering. You know who Jesus is? You know how amazing he is? You know what kind of character he has? He's the most amazing being in the universe, right? And what's true about him is true about you. You've taken on his nature and character, his qualities. You, your life is hidden in him, okay? And it's going to take the rest of our lives, and then we'll be in eternity, and that'll be like a consummation completely of this. But here and now, we get to walk in this and realize this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self, these things, right? That's talking about the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus, right? But you have that spirit. That's talking about you. That's who you are. That's what you are like. And you might go, no, no, no. I'm kind of, no, no. That's the old self. And that's being dunked tonight. That's gone. It's behind us. Okay? And we have to realize this. Holy Spirit, would you help us in our spirits, in our hearts to realize this? Not just theoretically, but this is a reality. And some of the things even presently you have felt today that you've struggled with. Yeah, I, I understand. Like the old person, it comes back. We feel that. The reality, it's dead, buried, okay? And there's like some habits and some ways that we think we still have to walk in. No, we don't have to. What is true about us, or what is true about Jesus is true about us. 
we can be like Jesus, following after him, because he's conquered our sin and death, and we are raised to new life with him. Okay. Water baptism is also this. It's an act of faith. You are displaying the step of faith you've taken. You are proclaiming, this is from Joyce Schroeder. She said this, campus pastor for many years at Montana State. She said, you are proclaiming the end of all of your efforts to earn your way to heaven by being good enough. Water baptism is that. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says this, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. That means no one, not even one. So baptism is a proclamation that your righteousness is in and through Jesus and Jesus alone. So back to our question, what is happening as Drew, Drew, you're baptizing Joseph, right? Yeah. And uh, Craig and Christian are going to baptize Austin and, and maybe one other. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what's happening then? What's happening? The old man goes into the watery grave and the new man in Christ comes up from the water. Man, this is where it's at. I mean, I gave the example of a silly soccer game that really didn't matter, but when you consider our lives, we are without God and without hope in the world. There's nobody that's going to blow the whistle and reverse anything. We can't fix it ourselves. And Jesus has come along, and he's, he's blown the whistle. But it's not like things are called off. We lost. But he fixes everything, and he takes the hit, right? And he's the only one that can take the hit because he cannot be held down by death. And he comes back and gives us a new life. It's just the most incredible, ridiculous deal ever. How does this work? But it's beautiful, and it's Jesus coming after us and redeeming humanity. Okay, we're almost ready for some baptisms. I want to share with you an Old Testament story about the power of baptism. Okay, we're going to go to Exodus um, 15. Um, you should read Exodus 14. Especially for those of you getting baptized, you should read Exodus 14. Like before, tonight's going to be like monumental. This is going to be a celebration. It's going to be very memorable. Um, and... You're going to get baptized in the water at the Kaiapha house, and all your friends and family are going to be like there and watching this. And then, but at some point, you're going to go out and like we're doing the Bucky's Bowl, Bill Boys are at Bucky's, our little tradition, playing football in the parking lot. You're going to, we're going to do all our different things. And then, but for you guys getting baptized, at some point, hopefully not like, you know, too late, you're going to go to bed tonight, and you should pause and reflect. And again, say, wow, what a day. Thank you, Jesus. And I think a good way for you to maybe capture what has happened is to read Exodus 14 and 15. Um, it's, it's, it's an Old Testament picture of what happens in water baptism. Um, before I move on, I want to I just give this opportunity. We've somewhat painted a picture of what it means to, to be saved, to put your hope in Jesus and no longer put your hope in yourself. And this is our last meeting together tonight. And I don't want to leave here without giving another opportunity that if, if you have come a long way this semester and your understanding of Jesus and who he is has grown, and maybe your understanding of yourself has grown too, in that you are not okay unless you have Jesus, I want, I want to make an opportunity for us tonight. Um, you can, it's not too late. You can grab your small group leader, you can grab a company leader, and you can say, hey, I want to... I want to cross over. I want, to, I, want to, I want solidarity 
with this family. I want to be able to say, we, us. This is me. I'm a part of this. And, and if you want to do that, then find your small group leader and pray with them. And we won't delay. We can baptize you tonight. Okay? Yeah. Okay. So the Israelites, you guys heard of them? If you read about them in the um, Old Testament, you'll get frustrated with them. But then remember, they're kind of a picture of us. Okay? The Israelites, God's people, they were enslaved to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. So this is Exodus 14. They were enslaved to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but God made Pharaoh let them go. He can do that. He can make the things that hold you down and enslave you let you go. He has the authority to do that. After letting them go, Pharaoh decided to recapture them. Hmm. If you're a believer, you've had a moment, you've had these moments where you feel like the things that you left behind are coming back to get you. They don't have any power over you, okay? So, again, read Exodus 14. Um, so, what I just described to you, God's people were enslaved to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. God made Pharaoh let them go. After letting them go, Pharaoh decided to recapture them. This is no minor ordeal. You know what happens. They go down to the Red Sea. They're released, right? They go down to the Red Sea. How many people? Four to six million Israelites left Egypt. That's like all of Houston leaving for a hurricane, okay? <laughs> And that gets crazy, right? Okay, so that's a massive movement of people. Um, when they leave, Pharaoh's like, no, 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 come back here, you're still mine. So Pharaoh pursues them, and he corners them, and they're up against the Red Sea. This is the world's largest army at this time, and they're trapped by the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. And they're like, oh man, why did we even leave? We're trapped. And so again, they were without hope. There was no hope, and God stepped in, and he breathed, he divided the Red Sea, and his people walked through. And then when the Egyptian army tried to follow, the waters came down and swept the Egyptian army away. Some of you know the story. Okay, so I tell us this because the destruction of the Egyptians is actually a picture of the destruction of your sin. The water comes down and washes away that army that's trying to pursue them and not like put their arm around them, say, hey pal, come back and work for us. No, they wanna kill them or enslave them and treat them harshly. So this is a crazy cool picture, but the passing of Israel through the Red Sea is a picture of baptism, and it, is marked, it marked a new life for the Israelites. The Egyptian Pharaoh and his army represented their enslavement to evil and is a picture of the sin-ruled self for us. Pharaoh, though, he perishes under the water, but the righteous come through victoriously in the glory of God, okay? One more thing from Joy Schroeder, and then I'll read the story of, well, not the story, I'm gonna read the song of Moses and Miriam to close. Okay, so Joy says this, note that until they crossed the Red Sea, their enemies pursued them and would have continued to unless they were destroyed under the water. Baptism declares that you are separated from your sin forever, no longer entangled by it. Okay, so here's Exodus 15. Can you guys, can you stand up as we read this? So this is called the Song of Moses and Miriam. And it is actually a praise of deliverance from the Egyptians, and it's a praise of deliverance from sin. And so what I want to invite us to do, even as we read this, you can pull out your Bibles, your phone, follow along if you want, but it may not be the same version, but you'll get the gist. Um, think about some of the things that have entangled you, some of the things that have weighed you down. And this is just telling us over and over again that these are destroyed. These are, these are behind us.
and we've been set free, okay? So here we go. Lord, would you speak to us through this? This is your word, and it has power. And I pray that we wouldn't just hear it with our minds, and, and I pray that we'd hear it with our hearts, with our spirits. Say we'd get down in there and give us strength in our, in our inner being that would go with us even as we go home for Christmas break, that it would carry us. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Okay. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver, he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Mm. And he's on your side. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. That's your sin. It's hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them, never to come back. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, your, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. But God, but you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretch out your hand, and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have done this semester. Thank you for being with us. Thank you that you have redeemed us. Thank you that you go before us in strength and that you will guide us to your holy dwelling. Lord, we look forward to going to the Kaiapha house right now, and I pray that as we celebrate with our friends that we would get the full significance of what it is you have done on our behalf and celebrate wholeheartedly together. Lord, I pray over us as Christmas break is almost here. Would you help us, Lord, to finish strong academically? Would you help us to honor you and all that we do? And Lord, would you go before us over Christmas break until we're together again? Would you be with us as we're with our families, with our friends? Would your spirit go before us and go with us? And may we be aware of your presence in everything we do. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done this semester. Amen. Amen. <laughs>